Before we look at today's episode, have you subscribed to our paid episodes yet? If no, kindly subscribe if you love the infographics show. Hello Julian, you wanted to donate $100 last month to support our show, but unfortunately we haven't been able to reach out to you. If you're listening to me now, kindly reply to this episode with your email or reach me via email smithnathaniel005 at gmail.com. Anyone who would like to donate can reach out to us or leave a reply with an email address. I'll leave my email in the comment section below. There's little room left to be skeptical about the validity of unidentified aerial phenomenon in the skies over our heads. From presidents to high-ranking military officials and prominent scientists, the list of witnesses is exhaustive and extremely compelling. What the phenomenon is, though, remains unresolved, but a disturbing amount of people worldwide all claim to know exactly what it is. These are some of the most terrifying alien abductions we've come across. Betty and Barney Hill it would be difficult to start any discussion on alien abduction without mentioning the high-profile case that began pushing the entire phenomenon into public awareness. Abductions by strange beings had been reported before, but the Betty and Barney Hill account would be the one to cement in the public's imagination the idea of alien abduction and cement the Greys as the leading perpetrators of alien contact with humanity. This controversial case began late on the night of September 19, 1961, at around 10.30 p.m., the Hills were driving back home after a vacation at Niagara Falls. Driving along the quiet highway, Betty suddenly saw a bright point of light in the sky slowly moving just below the moon. At first, she and Barney assumed they were simply seeing a falling star, but the object was moving too slow and erratically to be a meteor. After observing it for several minutes and with the light getting bigger and brighter as if approaching, Betty persuaded Barney to pull over so they could walk their dog and get a better look. Now observing the object through binoculars, Betty could see that the lights were actually coming from a craft of some kind, with multicolored lights slowly traveling across the face of the moon. Betty's sister had claimed to see a flying saucer years earlier, prompting Betty to believe that she was witnessing one now, too. Barney, however, believed that the object was nothing more than a distant airliner. What happened next would change his mind immediately. Without warning, and as if suddenly aware it was being observed, the craft suddenly began to rapidly approach the hills. Barney would comment that the object seemed to not change heading, as it was moving in one direction and then abruptly changed directions without changing its orientation. Now he was sure that the object was not a plane, and the two ran into the car along with their dog. The two continued driving, going slow enough to be able to observe the strange craft as it continued to hover in the sky, drawing closer and closer. As they drove along, the craft drew close enough to pass over a restaurant with Betty estimating that it was about 60 feet wide. The craft appeared to be rotating and moved erratically, bouncing back and forth as it traveled. Suddenly, the object rapidly descended toward their vehicle, and in a panic, Barney slammed on the brakes. Here, Betty and Barney lost all recollection of what happened next. Their next memories were of driving home and arriving close to dawn, way later than they should have. They both explained odd physical sensations across their bodies and strange impulses they couldn't explain. Rather than unpacking their luggage, Betty insisted that it be kept near the back door. Both of the couple's watches had stopped working and would never work again, and Barney observed that the strap on his binoculars was broken and the toes of his shoes were scuffed up. For some unknown reason, Barney felt that he needed to inspect his genitals and did so in the bathroom, but without discovering anything strange. Betty's own dress was torn at the hem, and when she later inspected the dress, she discovered pink powder on it. Under hypnosis, the Hills would piece together what had happened to them that night. At the moment their memories became broken and fragmented, 
the craft hovered directly over the hill's vehicle. Barney later said it filled the windshield and reminded him of a huge pancake. He pulled out his binoculars and stepped out of the car, a pistol in his pocket. Using the binoculars, he looked up at the object and said that he could observe 8 or 11 humanoid figures in the windows that ringed the ship, all looking down at him. From his vantage point, Barney could see that the figures appeared to be wearing glossy black uniforms with black caps on their large bulbous heads. Then all but one of the figures moved in unison back away from the windows and out of sight. The remaining figure continued to look directly at Barney and spoke to him telepathically, telling him to remain where you are and keep looking. Bat-wing-like fins telescoped out of the sides of the craft, and a long structure descended from the bottom of the craft to reach the ground below. Beings came out and communicated to the hills that they should not be afraid, though Betty claimed they spoke in English and Barney that they communicated telepathically. Betty tried to fight off two of the beings who grabbed her under the arms, kicking at them but unable to stop them dragging her into the craft. Inside, the beings took skin and hair samples, as well as nail clippings. They also inserted a long needle into Betty's stomach, causing her some pain and discomfort. Betty asked a being that seemed to be the creature's leader where they'd been taken, and that being jokingly replied, if you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where you are. The aliens had crossed the vast gulf of space to obtain biological samples and brought plenty of sass along for the journey. The aliens at one point showed the hills a 3D map that they said indicated where their home planet was. Betty would later draw the map, which would prompt many to attempt to verify or debunk the story using the map. Initially, it was believed to be very accurate, but with better measurements of the distance between the stars, the map did not line up with the stars originally believed to show where the aliens had come from. However, it did at least partially appear to fall within the general limits of stars, with planets whom at the time were unknown to be within the habitable zones of their stars. The star map was a good piece of evidence initially, but ultimately inconclusive given the absolute lack of data, such as distances involved and the crude nature of Betty making a copy from an alleged real map. The case would spark an international interest, though initially the Hills did not seek out any public attention. As a mixed-race couple in the 1960s, unwanted attention was hardly something the Hills were excited about. However, after Barney's death a few years later, Betty would go on to become a UFO celebrity. Unfortunately, she would also convince a great deal of people that she was anything but credible. Over the years, Betty developed a reputation for seeing UFOs everywhere, presenting photos of blobs and splotches in the sky as proof of UFO chasing vehicles or coming close to her house. Even prominent UFOlogists began to distance themselves from Betty. But was Betty a UFO enthusiast who simply convinced her husband to go along with a fairy tale, or did they experience an actual abduction? That star map would prove unhelpful in verifying the Hill story, given its impossibly low resolution. Regression hypnosis is also a highly controversial field even to this day, with few good studies done on its effectiveness or veracity. Many believe that regression hypnotherapy simply facilitates the creation of false memories, while others, including those who use it for non-UFO-related trauma, stand by their claims that it is extremely helpful for patients seeking to unlock past trauma. For us, though, regression hypnosis is an unproven science and we can't take it as proof that the Hills experienced anything special that night. That leaves us with only one bit of physical evidence, Betty's dress. After the incident, Betty went to sleep and then removed the dress a few hours later, initially throwing it away. Thinking twice of it, she recovered the dress and hung it out on a clothesline, later retrieving it and sticking it in her closet, where it remained for four decades, occasionally removed to show friends and family. 
The dress has been analyzed for evidence that Betty's account is true, and while nothing conclusive was discovered, there are some compelling findings. On the outside of the dress, on the back and under the armpits, there were found discolorations. When analyzed, they were discovered to contain a biologically derived material composed mostly of protein and a small amount of ester-type oil. It's believed that the material was originally moist before drying out. The material is also present in much greater concentrations on the exterior of the dress rather than the interior, ruling out the possibility that it was exuded by Betty herself in the form of perspiration or urine. Further, there was no evidence of the material having once been urine or vomit. The strange material is sadly too far degraded to glean any more information, but it was found exactly where Betty claimed to have come into contact with the aliens as they grabbed her under her arms and dragged her onto the ship. Further, the rips in the dress line up with both Betty claiming to have violently kicked as she was being dragged and one of the aliens struggling to undo the zipper. So, did aliens really travel to Earth just to target this New Hampshire couple? Without better physical evidence, we simply cannot know. While both Betty and Barney stuck to their story for life, Betty's increasing lack of credibility over the years as she became obsessed with UFOs did not help her story. But could she have simply been obsessed with the source of her trauma, as often occurs in other mental and physical abuse cases? Only those aliens know the truth for now. Berkshire Abduction It's easy to disregard the Barney and Betty Hill abduction since it only had two witnesses, the victims. But what do you do when an entire town is a witness? September 1, 1969 would be the day that residents of Berkshire County, Massachusetts would never forget. As night began to fall on Berkshire County, residents all over began to notice a strange light in the sky. When the object drew nearer, residents described it as a disc-shaped craft moving erratically across the sky in a way that an airplane couldn't possibly reproduce. Immediately, calls began to pour into local police departments and it was estimated that over 250 people had spotted the strange craft but some got a much closer look than they had anticipated. Nine-year-old Thomas Reed, along with his brother, mother, and grandmother, were driving along a country road when they noticed lights coming out from the tree line behind them. The lights seemed to rise slightly, and as the car broke out into a clearing, the lights were bright enough to light up the interior of the car. Suddenly, there was an amber glow on both sides of the road, and that's when the family's memories ended. Their next memory was being inside the car, but the mother and grandmother had switched spots. Over two hours had gone by that the family could not account for. Later, the family's memories would slowly begin to come back. They all remembered being inside a large hangar-like structure with lights that looked like fluorescent tubing, but much brighter. The hangar itself was larger than a football field, and at one end was a hallway with a Y configuration to control the flow of traffic. They also remembered seeing a room with a bowed-in wall that curved starting at the ceiling before reaching the ground. The family would go on to reprimand anyone who suggested they had been abducted. While they all fully believed that they had come into contact with something that was not human, they did not consider it an abduction, standing in sharp contrast with other abductee stories. However, the family was never able to accurately recall who or what might have taken them to this strange facility or if the facility itself was indeed the craft seen by so many. In the days after the incident, local school children would draw pictures of the UFO, and it was all that county residents could talk about. An official investigation would find no explanation for what had occurred that night, and to this day, survivors of the mass UFO sighting will push back hard at anyone attempting to correct them about what they had seen. The Massachusetts Historical Society would go on to establish a plaque commemorating the event and state that without a doubt, 
the residents of Berkshire County had seen the craft described by nearly 300 witnesses. While there is no physical evidence of the Reed family's abduction, the staggering amount of eyewitnesses to the craft leaves little doubt that something unexplained had flown across the skies of Massachusetts that night. U.S. Military Abduction and Mutilation It's one of the most controversial claims of alien abduction and resulted in the mutilation of a U.S. serviceman. But did it really happen? The date was sometime in March 1956. The U.S. military was experimenting with ballistic missile technology, and missile tests were routine at the White Sands Missile Testing Grounds near Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico. White Sands itself has an infamous history with UFOs, with residents near the vast desert test range commonly reporting strange lights and craft in the sky. Given the frequency of military aircraft and missiles being fired, that's perhaps not surprising. But some residents swear that they've seen craft that couldn't possibly be of human origin. Back in 1956, two U.S. soldiers found out the truth the hard way, and it ended up in tragedy for one of them. U.S. Air Force Sergeant John P. Lovett was assisting Major William Cunningham as the two searched for debris from a recent rocket test. Absorbed in the search, Cunningham was shocked to hear a scream coming from Lovett, who was on the other side of the dune from him. Cunningham immediately rushed over to the other side of the dune and was horrified to discover a silver disc hovering in the air, with a long serpentine arm coming out of the bottom of it. The arm had wrapped around Lovett's legs and was dragging the man toward the craft. There was nothing Cunningham could do but watch in horror as Lovett was dragged inside the craft and the craft sped off. Radioing for help, security personnel arrived and escorted Cunningham to the local medic, fearful that the major had gone off the deep end. Lovett was nowhere to be found, though, and local radar had picked up an unidentified contact on the range that day. It wouldn't be until three days later that search parties discovered Lovett, or at least his corpse. His body was found nude and with signs that it had been exposed to the elements for a day or two. However, what horrified the medical examiners was the level of mutilation that Lovett had suffered. His tongue had been cut away from the lower jaw and removed, as well as his eyes. His anus and sex organs had also been removed. However, all the mutilation had been done with expert skill, as if something had simply cleanly scooped the affected organs away. The body had also been exsanguinated, but without signs of vascular collapse as often happens when a body bleeds out. Aliens had seemingly abducted a U.S. service member and mutilated him horribly. So, did this really happen? The encounter comes from an alleged document titled Grudge Report No. 13. Project Grudge was the U.S. Air Force's initial investigation into the UFO phenomenon, followed up by Project Blue Book. Grudge Reports No. 1 through 12 have all been declassified, as has Report No. 14. However, Report No. 14 makes no mention of a Report No. 13. The only reason we know of Report No. 13 is because of claims by William Cooper, who said that he was shown the report by someone within the military community, with report laying out the facts of the abduction and mutilation case. Former Green Beret Captain William English also alleges that he too was shown the report and vouched for the contents. But this is where things get murky, because the way that the report was described by Cooper had the contents laid out in a fashion that wouldn't be used until years later, around when Cooper made his claim of having seen the report. The formatting doesn't match reports number 1 through 12, nor number 14. Further, Cooper alleges that the report was hundreds of pages long with an exhaustive list of contents. Yet the other grudge reports were the equivalent of Facebook status updates by comparison. Further damning the entire account is the fact that no Major William Cunningham nor Sergeant Jonathan P. Lovett were serving with the U.S. Air Force or Army at the time. 
but maybe the military had their records disappeared, and there's the curious fact that reports number 1 through 12 were declassified along with 14, so where is report number 13? The US Air Force claims there was no report number 13, so maybe Project Grudge personnel were superstitious. This isn't out of the realm of possibility. After all, there are buildings who skip floor 13 altogether. Check it out next time you're in a high-rise building. As the writer of this script spent years in the military, there is one glaring sticking point with this whole account that smacks of BS. The claim is that an Air Force sergeant and an Air Force major were out on the range that day looking for debris from a rocket launch. What this writer can confirm, and so can anyone else, with even just a year of US military experience, is that the chances of a senior officer hiking around a desert test range to look for scattered bits of metal and wiring are as close to absolute zero as it is scientifically possible to get. The chances of an officer, let alone a senior one, humping across a barren desert to pick up scrap metal are so overwhelmingly zero that imaginary numbers whose value is less than zero have to be invented to mathematically express the situation. Simply trying to assess the chances of this happening requires the invention of brand new mathematics and the unifying of fundamental physics with a theory of everything. The account also doesn't match any other reported eyewitness accounts pertaining to abductions or UFO landing sites. It's the only account in UFO lore of a mechanical arm exiting the craft to snatch an individual, and that smacks a pure fantasy. With thousands of alien abduction claims who've only just scratched the surface of this phenomenon, some accounts remain ambiguous, impossible to determine false or real based off available evidence. Others are obvious fantastical stories, but there is a disturbing few which remain incredibly difficult to explain. Now go check out largest UFO sighting in history, what actually happened, or click this other link instead. We for one welcome our new alien overlords. Don't forget to support our show by subscribing. Thanks, have a great day.